America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Love my Thursday shows because they involve two great things. One is one guest, an in-depth discussion, uh, which is always fun and not rushed. We also have an in-studio audience. I'm so grateful every week for those people who decide to join us in studio. We're in a beautiful new expanded studio. I don't know if you can tell from the angle you're uh, looking at, but we're a beautiful new studio up here in the um, our same complex, but a lovely new studio, a larger seating, great view in the back. So love this new studio. Very grateful to be doing the show here at Real News PR and Real News Communication Network. I also want to once in a while uh, do a shout out to the uh, singer and the music you were hearing. That is Krista Branch. And when I heard her sing this, I Am America, at some function I was speaking at, my husband and I were both texting, we've got to get that lady, because this song is so perfect. It's the message of my show. I am America. You are America. The people who stand up and speak up and claim America, we're the ones who run it. We're the ones who can dictate the future, but we have to be involved. So welcome to our Thursday show. We have a very special guest joining us in studio today named Lauren Davis. And by way of quickest background, she is a GOP candidate and she's running for a job right here in Dallas, where our show is. It's called the Dallas County Judge. But she didn't go to law school, and she's, this is not a courtroom job. Dallas County judge is essentially the equivalent of what a city mayor is or in charge of the city. County judge is, is the top executive of the county with a great deal of responsibility over a lot of issues. But the reason I wanted to have her here today, besides telling you all about that, is I think in America we can get really sidetracked thinking about when the elections come up, well, you know, we have the... Uh, president, we have vice president, and we have you know members of Congress. We're looking at Washington, and maybe even sometimes looking at our state government, looking at who's running for governor, who's running for state rep and state senate. But the fact is, enormous things change in your life based on the kind of local government you have. And this is true. This is a little, uh, just an example in Dallas County, what happens all around our country. The executives in positions that you may not know much about and may not focus on during campaign time can all the difference in the way you live your life in your home. So please help me to the, welcome to the show, Lauren Davis. Thank you. Lauren's great to see you. Uh, you really were the rock star of the Republican primary. We'll get to that in a moment. But um, I'm really, uh, really commend you so much for stepping up and running. This is kind of a year uh, when more people than in a long time decided they've got to do something in government uh, and they get involved when they really hadn't been planning on doing that. You were not setting out to be a candidate or elected official. So why are you sitting here today? Like, how did you get involved and end up in this race for Dallas County Judge? Um, yes. So the quickest way to answer that is government just uh, basically slapped me in the face in a couple of different ways through shutting down uh, my small business. I'm a barbershop owner, so we were deemed non-essential, which is a completely immoral um, category. <laughs> I can't even believe our government it has a thing as essential and non-essential. It's always essential to put food on your dinner table. Um, and then they tried to force my kids into masks after two years into this pandemic, claiming they had local control, which completely violated my parental rights. And we just got to a point where we said enough was enough. I complied initially, and I wish I hadn't. Um, but we did. A lot of us did. And, and now we know better. And, um, you know, through, by the way of emergency, government just takes our powers away. So I said over my dead body and I won't I just won't have it. And so I'm not I'm an action oriented person and um, I'm not one to complain and one to just go and do something about it. And so that's what I did. There you go. Well, I can I'll tell you, I know I told you this, I think when you're on my show in the past, but 
uh, I mean, I was, I don't know what my show was about someday. I was at, in my show and friends of mine are texting me during the show. I'm at this meeting, you have to hear this lady, Lauren Davis, and you were standing up, I believe it was a Dallas ISD, a school board meeting, mm -hmm. essentially trying to stand up for your children mm -hmm. and to expose to the school board the way they were being treated by their public school uh, because they weren't compliant with the mask mandates mm -hmm. then in place. So you started out being an activist, you spoke up at the school board, and... Yeah, go on from there. I want, I want to have people, your, your story is so amazing because, I mean, this is honestly, I wish we could always have candidates who didn't want to be elected officials. Mm -hmm. They like the best kind of candidates because they mm -hmm. really are just trying to stand up. But you, so you spoke up at your school board and? Yes. So I started, I spoke up at my school board. I went to activist groups. They gave me a voice and it honestly made me feel like, wow, I'm not alone because my kids were the only two out of 604 kids at their public school in Dallas ISD that went with no mask. And, and I think a lot of times that's what it, what it feels like, that we're all alone. And so once I realized I wasn't, um, it gave me the courage to, to take my activism even further. So, you know, the school, which we met through that, yes, a lot of the, the people in the audience heard me describing kind of what was happening. And when you're in the state of trauma or things are happening to you, you don't even realize like how bad they are until someone validates that. And that's what happened that day. It was actually at uh, a DFW Deplorables meeting. And a lot of ladies there, I'm telling them, they're like, oh, this is terrible. They put your kids in a plexiglass cage and they're systematically trying to, um, you know, crush our family and crush my children. They coned off my 11-year-old um, daughter at the time behind cones in PE class where she was having to watch other kids play while she sat there. And both of my kids had medical conditions as well. My son survived through open heart surgeries. And so it was really validating to go, that's, that's really not, o not okay. And so that's, that's what led me into this. And I'm going, I'm looking around and just thinking, um, I'm here in public school. Uh, we're entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm, no one can cancel me. And one, no one can cancel me because I have my faith in Christ. And when that's the case, you really can't be canceled. And I said, I, I've got to do something about this because there's a lot of families out there that can't. And sure, some parents could have said, oh, why didn't you pull your kids out, which we eventually had to, um, or why don't you go to private school? Well, you know, not everyone has the resources to do that, and that shouldn't be the expectation. We should be able to access our public resources like our public schools and feel accepted and it wasn't the case. So that just led me to do something about it. It felt very, very convicted to do something, not for myself, but for all the families who, who can't stand up. I love it. And actually, I recall I wasn't at any of the meetings, but I was hearing reports about the idea that you were presenting originally a very, very uh, orderly, in fact, when you're on my show last time, a very, we had bullet points explaining what happened. And really you met pretty much with deaf ears from the Dallas ISD, from others, just not willing to listen or to reason. They have the attitude, we're in charge and the parents are not. Is that fair? Is that, uh, fair? That's, that is completely fair. We tried everything. Um, we, we first advocated with our principal, nothing. Then we advocated with the school board, nothing. Then I got the media involved, which is where you came in. I went to the activist groups, nothing. They, they literally tried to crush the will of our family to continue on with their agenda. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a completely fair statement. We tried everything we could, um, you know, to advocate for our children, and there was, there was no feedback. We even had uh, one of the Dallas IC School Board Trustees, District 2, um, through a public info request, we found out, uh, instructed the superintendent's office to have the IT department to block our emails. Our Davis family emails were systematically blocked. 
Um, and they did that. <laughs> wow. I didn't even know that part. I did not know yes. that until this very moment. Yes, okay. so we did everything we could, and they did everything they could to, to silence us and squash us and keep the story down to, to further their agenda. Yeah. Well, I don't want to go into details on all the other issues that are driving parents to show up at public mm -hmm. school uh, ISD board, school board meetings, school meetings, but this is a year of the American people, especially the American parents, rising up and recognizing we can't get the schools to listen to us. They've kind of decided they decide, and the parents are an afterthought, and we'll let you know what we're going to do, but you don't really have a say. So, uh, and I think that you you kind of epitomize that that parent, that uh, educated, thoughtful, uh, very reasonable but I want you to listen to me. And you're, we're discovering an attitude, an entrenched attitude in some places where the elected officials are saying, no, we actually don't have to listen to you at all. So now you're running for county judge. And I want, again, for our listeners, county judge is not a courtroom. It's not about law. It is about being the chief executive of Dallas County. And many people in um, our county were very excited to have any uh, GOP person run against our incumbent uh, county judge. But before we get off on him, what, I mean, as I said in my little intro, I think that people think what affects their life is what Congress passes. What does the House and the Senate pass? Does the President sign it? Or maybe the state legislature. But they don't focus necessarily as much as they would if they knew more about what county government controls in their lives. So why uh, the, you know, the stand up for your family and your principles and parents' rights and, and for your children? I love all that. But what is the reason county judge matters to what you stand for? Um, it matters because it's the, the tip of the iceberg or the head of the snake, however you want to put it. It's the most local form of government that affects our daily lives and gives cover to the rest of these. What we're finding now when, when things get hard, some of our leaders become tyrants and think we don't know for ourselves. And so Clay Jenkins and that position, the way he manipulated and misused it, gave cover for the superintendents to, to go rogue as well. And so the... County government is administrative. It is CEO, it is executive, but it is where our state government comes down into the community. Our founding fathers designed the system so perfectly, which is why we have to pay attention to every part of it, right? We can get you know caught in one or the other, but it's important from the national to the school board, um, and we should focus on it equally, but nothing touches our lives more than county government because it's the administrative arm of the state. It's where all the policies come down and are, and are administered to the people, and they they control the flow of money. And we know how important money is in government. It's where all the power lies and where they're able to portion that out. And it touches things like our uh, health and human services, which during COVID we found that out and they control the county hospitals, but they also county government controls our elections. So if we ever want a free and fair election, we'd be focusing mostly on our county government because the county judge is one of five on a committee that elects our, or that selects our elections administrator. Right, so very powerful positions also are jails, sheriffs, and then it's a 6,000 person organization. So then you have IT, human resources. It's massive um, and it affects our daily lives. Yeah, I love that point. One thing you said, uh, I want to go back to more of those in a moment, but you made a point I think is really important, which is the county judge, our, our, here in Dallas, here in Dallas County, uh, for our listeners, our current county judge is named Clay Jenkins. He's a Democrat. I think he's been in office for like 120 years. Okay, not really, but many, many, many years. And he has a sense of entitlement. And he doesn't listen to the people, doesn't listen to the input, even from his fellow commissioners. It's kind of a, it, it's a tyrannical attitude. But once he began, uh, when COVID came along with a mask mandate, with a shelter in place and a shutdown on businesses, all that stuff, 
it's an attitude he was conveying of mm -hmm. this is the role of government and I believe it emboldened the school districts, the school administrators to carry on and to behave the way they did because Clay Jenkins and his attitude was validating that. You think that's fair? Um, yes, because he manipulated local control. And so he did that under the emergency powers, which lies exclusively under the county judge. And it's granted from the state down. It's never meant to be in conflict. And so he went in direct conflict with our governor when he did the GA38 banning the mandates in schools and government buildings. And so he took a shred of, a shred of truth as, as evil does and then manipulated it. And people thought, because they were relatively uninformed, me being one of them, um, and we just thought, oh, well, I guess he does have that control, but he didn't. He manipulated it, and it allowed then the superintendents to say, well, I have local control over my school, and if we go down that thought, then guess what? I have local control over myself, my body, and my family. Um, so two can play that game, but, you know, if not everyone stands up, then they try to squash us like they did. Yeah. You know, the issue during COVID around the country became for many people, who actually has authority to... Mm -hmm issue mask mandates, tell you whether your business can be open, tell you whether you can leave your home. And really for most living Americans, it's the first pandemic we all went through. Yeah. And I think in the beginning, people were pretty deferential. They thought, well, yeah. you know, I, if this is really as bad as it is, but very soon people figured out it really isn't uh, nearly as lethal as they claim. They learned more things, but they also saw that the government had assumed power and were not going to let it go. Even when evidence was showing was unnecessary. But you said something particular. You said that what Clay Jenkins did, he actually went in conflict with what our governor, our Texas state governor, Abbott, had said with respect to mandates. Is that mm -hmm. accurate? He did that? Yes. Yeah. Through the GA38, the governor, through an executive order, said, no, you can no longer mandate. And Jenkins is basically saying, well, you granted us emergency power. Well, it's not really how it works. It doesn't work like that. You know, it's typically for seven days for hyper-local emergencies, like the tornado North Dallas experienced a couple years ago, right? That would be a proper use of, um, of emergency powers, but it is not an emergency over two years later. It's just not. And, and he continues to manipulate, even to the point where he increased our, our threat level, right, to yellow. Okay, I did not know this story until we spoke earlier today. Uh, Clay Jenkins has increased our threat level, in case you didn't realize this, uh, raised it, and this is based on, tell me, I mean, I, I will let you tell the story, but what he referred to in justifying raising our threat level with respect to, I guess he's not calling it COVID anymore, but COVID and related viruses. Yes, he's just, um, well, one, he never gave up his emergency power. So that's number one, we need to, to give up the emergency power. So we were under green new normal. And now that, you know, he's saying cases are rising and such, he's, he's going to go ahead and raise it to, to yellow and, and tell us that basically if you're unvaccinated and these different things that you, you have separate rights in society, you need to be masked, no more indoor things. It's not quite a mandate yet, but, you know, what's the next one? I believe it was red and then orange. It's an arbitrary guideline that's much like a discipline chart in kindergarten. <laughs> that's really good. Well, he also, though, made reference to a committee having advised him. Tell that story. Yes, that's yes. So there, there are apparently two committees, if you didn't know. Uh, there is a health committee that he made and then a health advisory committee that is actually appointed by the different commissioners. And so he's no longer listening to them or never did in listening to his own self-appointed 
committee. So he's listening uh, to the echo chamber he created. Yes. He gave him a name as a committee. Now, okay. Yeah, I mean, so he is, is, again, a shred of truth, a little committee here, a little committee there. We can't figure out which one is real and which one is his creation. Yeah, I, I mean, these are very, it's, it's duplicitous at, mm -hmm. at a minimum, but it's also a, just an ongoing message that I am in charge. I am going to control your life. And don't you think you're going you're, you're gonna to interfere with that because you are not, you know, you the people are not uh, the sovereign I am or, or the government is. So, okay, I want to hit one other thing because this is, to me, the reason this interview is so important among many is there are many people in our country rising up, standing up, and deciding they're going to run for something. And much of what you will hear from people who are more supportive of either the incumbent or if they are their incumbent, the incumbent, they're really supportive of the idea uh, that they should kind of get to stay in place because they haven't done anything bad. And back to the founding of our country, the whole concept of America was essentially a citizen government that we're supposed to have people rotate in office, citizens governing as opposed to a ruling class. And that's supposed to be a way to assure that we hold on to our rights, hold on to all of that. And that has been over time, and I probably tell you this story in other contexts, but there was a particular congressman uh, who's actually a friend, but he was challenged in a primary. And he was his defense of why he should be reelected was, well, you know, um, this, in, this challenger, you know, he'll still be looking for the men's room in the Capitol building. We'll all already be at committee. I'll all be doing things. It was like, because I'm there, I'm better. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, incumbency attitude, it, it perpetuates people a long time in power. And so, but one argument they make, and I want to have you address is, there are people who say, but you know, government's gotten complex now. There are regulations, there are structures, there are committees, there's a lot of confusion, there are budgets, there's money. I mean, how could you, a you know, non, a formerly non-political person, you just ran a business, how could you really be ready to run Dallas County? Well, they've made it complicated on purpose to make people like myself and like the people in the audience think they can't do it. And our founding fathers gave us the greatest playbook. And if we just stick to that and have a backbone to make good decisions um, that are in the framework of people can govern themselves, they're moral people and they know best. But as an elected official, as a, as a politician, I guess you could say, it is my duty to give them all available access to information and everything they need to make their own decisions and, and not the reverse. So they've done it on purpose to keep people out. It's just a lie. And the more we believe the lie, then the more we just hurt ourselves. And it's not complicated. It's just having um, a backbone and you know yeah. making the decisions that others don't want to make. Um, and it's also coming into it like our founding fathers did, right? They worked the fields or did their job, it came in and served and went back. And we have people staying in, becoming um, millionaires, writing books. You know, we have the Obama era with his Martha's Vineyard and all these things. Like you should never be doing that as, as a public servant. And so they go in to make their careers, not going in to serve. And, um, you know, it's just, it's not right. And, and that's what causes it. Yeah, there's two different aspects of this. I, I love that you're saying both of them. Uh, one aspect is that you, we talk about the complexity of it, and there are people who, you know, look at a, a budget or a flow chart and think, I don't understand this. But the fact is, you know, the people in office right now, they're just human beings. Yeah. And at one point, they weren't elected officials, but they got in and they learned how to do things. But now that they're in the club of elected officials, they're trying to say, well, these other people aren't qualified. Well, they were right there at one point. And I just think that's a, I, you, you have such a refreshing, um, 
confidence in the idea that you can handle these things. And I, I will say the people who, you know, either might think, well, Clay Jenkins, at least he knows what he's doing. He's been there a long time or, or you know, some other person. I, I mean, the last thing we want are entrenched people staying there and perpetuating their own power and, and scaring off citizens by saying, well, you're not probably savvy enough to figure out, you know, a budget. Have you ever had, had to manage a budget before? Yes, uh, one in my own home, which counts, and then two in our businesses. I mean, we, we started barbershops in, in 2008. We were 25, and we didn't know anything. I barely even knew how to raise my children. But, you know, <laughs> you, you, you figure it out. It's just not that hard if you have a desire to be a problem solver. I wish I had the brain now back then in high school that I have now because if I had just realized that no matter how hard it was I could just figure it out yeah. if I just had that framework in my mind and understood that calculus would have been a breeze like it's yeah. just <laughs> yeah it, it's just not hard because it just takes a desire and a conviction to figure it out it everything is figure outable I think there's a book somewhere it's just it just is and if you want to put the time in, the overtime, or what have you, not be self-serving, you will eventually get to the to the solution if you ask good questions and, and are convicted. Yeah, actually, you know, you would have a, a just an army of incumbent members mm -hmm. of Congress if the incumbents always got reelected and they always could win the argument. Well, I know more. You would never change out representation, and I think that is sadly where we are. I've forgotten the statistics. I didn't look it up. But the percentage of people who are incumbents and lose re-election is minuscule. In both yes. parties, in the Senate, in the House, you're kind of there for life if you want to be. Well, and I think it's a little bit of human nature, too, because we tend to be risk-averse and we'd rather take somebody's crumbs. But I'm just wondering where all of our, you know, life coaches are out there saying, you know, don't accept the crumbs, say, like in a relationship. Well, we shouldn't be accepting that in our elected officials. And just because they're there and might know doesn't mean they're performing or, or making our environment any better. So I think we need to start applying some of these um, well thought out principles that we live in our lives to be successful and start holding these people in office accountable and not accepting the crumbs of in incumbents. Exactly. Just because they know how it works doesn't mean they have the right values, they bring the right values. I love mm -hmm. that. We'll take a quick break to mention for our radio listeners on Brightian Radio, thank you so very much. I'm so grateful that Brightian Radio carries our show. If you are listening on radio, you're going to go off to a break at the bottom of 30 minutes past the hour. Do not go away. It's a three-minute break, and we'll be back, and I'll still be here talking with Lauren Davis. Uh, and also at the end of the show, just three minutes for the top of the hour, you will go off, and uh, but you can always come and watch and listen to our show and all past shows, all past interviews, everything we do is at our website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. That's the place to go to find out much more about the show. I want to thank you for listening on radio. Okay, so back to, I want to be sure to hit that because I've gotten in the middle of the breaks. Oh, dang, I forgot to tell them. Okay, so I want to hit, though, on, on Clay Jenkins. People would say in Dallas County, you know, the, the incumbent county judge, um, you know, he has supporters. And I want to get at, you know, the things that are measurable about what's going on. And I, he really hasn't been there 120 years. How long is it again? He's been there 12 years. And 12 years. if we don't do something about it, that turns into 16. It's a four-year term. Yes, yeah, a four-year term. Okay, mm -hmm. so he's been there 12 years. So what changes have happened in Dallas County you think are kind of on his watch that are not good? Yeah, sure. If we go to our business mind and we measure based on how the health of the county, we um, – we, have a declining population. We've declined 1.1% in population while all of our other neighboring DFW counties are exploding in growth. I want to jump in. Dallas County is down 
1.1 million people in 1.1 percent percent percentage okay okay yes. in in this time period and the counties around us i mean dallas we were talking about this earlier it used to be kind of the coolest county frankly the coolest county in texas it was that's why they have a dallas tv show but uh, so that's one thing. People are moving out. Why do you think they're moving out, by the way? Uh, well, I talk to people and they're like, oh my gosh, you live in Dallas County. Why would you want to live there? And I'm like, I love Dallas. You know, I, I, I love the shopping. I love the restaurants. I love the culture. I want to be here. Um, but there's a lot of people who look at us like we're crazy because, you know, the crime is going up under Jenkins' tenure. Crime is up over, in all categories, up over 200%. I'll repeat that again. Crime up over 200%. And this falls on county government. You can say aspects of the district attorney, aspects sure. of the police and the sheriffs, but under this this 12-year leadership, mm -hmm. people moving out, crime is up. And poverty's up, right? More people are impoverished, 13.7%. It's the highest percentage um, of all of our neighboring counties. So you've got population down, poverty up, and crime is astronomical. I mean. That is the worst report card I've ever heard in my life. And their job is to, to provide a, a county where we can thrive in. And it's, it's unbelievably bad. And maybe some of us might be insulated because um, we are entrepreneurs, right? We, we um, do control our destiny a little bit or you've got a great job because Dallas is still full of opportunity, but we cannot sit here and deny that because there are people are suffering in silence because they don't have a voice because their county government hides those statistics because we're so huge and there are a lot of people doing great but there are a lot of people who are not and you were making reference to dallas as contrasted with surrounding counties, counties. yes because that's what really it does matter too because people say well the economy is bad everyone knows the economy is bad mm -hmm. but this is in this love i mean texas you know i i love living here i didn't yes. grow up here but i love living here and you always think it's the home of the entrepreneur and the hardworking and the upbeat mm -hmm. and, the, and the good solid communities and it's being squandered the, the whole feel of texas under this kind of administration. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, it really is. And, and we will, over time, continue to feel the effects. But by the time you feel it, it is so far gone. We should have elected officials who are on this and measuring it on a daily basis who don't ever let it get to the point where the citizens feel the economy or the crime. It, it should have never gotten this bad. Yeah. You know, one thing that's a funny thing, I meant to say much earlier, but people who've been unhappy that so many parents are speaking up at school mm -hmm. boards and and really not just showing up once but continuing to show up and make their mm -hmm. point make their case people have started kind of talking about the angry moms that's kind yeah. of a leftist the angry moms are out there honestly when i first met you my my reaction was you're like you're too nice to be in politics yeah. you're just, i mean the idea of the angry mom this is the responsible mom this is the intelligent mom the word you'd use but what we are watching is a rising mm -hmm. up of responsible, intelligent, and articulate and passionate people. America should be cheering for that. Uh, yes, and so I don't call myself an angry mom. I call myself a happy warrior. Um, I feel like it encompasses everything that I stand for, everything that Christ wanted me to be and that I've grown to be as a woman. And, it, and people sometimes mistake our happiness for weakness. And it's not as a superpower. So I can stand strong and firm and smile in my enemy's face and not move for a second. My knees don't even wobble, right? We are warriors and warriors like warriors. And it's just so important to not allow the evil or whoever it is to put us in a box. I'm nothing angry at all. I cannot tell you much that my knees don't even wobble. That's a great line. <laughs> that, 
That's a really good line. Yeah. I mean, not just line, but it's it is who you are. Because I was going to say I, when I first met you, I thought, my gosh, she's so nice. And but honestly, you have just you are exactly a happy warrior, and that's what yes. I want to see around this country. I love women running for office. I want more women in office, not because. I think it, it isn't the determining factor, but women who love America, love freedom, love parents, love their faith, love God, they, they are the ones who ought to be stepping up. Of course, we'll have plenty of men in politics too, but women are needed very, very much so in this, uh, in this political environment that is so caustic, so tense, so divided. So I don't want to ask you, so then this is an urban, I mean, the left keeps claiming, well, they have won the urban centers you know, uh, Republicans can't win in urban centers. Mm -hmm. So how can someone in Dallas County, which is pretty much blue, and this is a, the seat you're running for is a countywide race, mm -hmm. how are you gonna win in an urban area? Yes, well, you just go straight to the voter. <laughs> you go straight to the people. They, they're done with politicians, as we've discussed. They just wanna know someone's going to hold the line on truth and I know that's an interesting word these days in our culture, but we have to hold the line on things we know and hold to be true. Society is trying to untether us from the truth, which then you go by the way of the wind or by whatever tyranny you know is of the, of the time. And we have to stop asking our politicians to give us the three promises. They're like, three things, what are your three issues? And of course, I'll have my three issues, but stop asking our politicians to promise us things and start asking about their character and who they are because you should be able as a citizen to predict what my decisions will be based on who you know me to be. And that is strong, unwavering, and we cannot have leaders in place that keep us in a state of uncertainty because people and communities do not grow in times of uncertainty. They grow in times of strength and that comes from leadership. And we have to start requiring and expecting and demanding that from um, our politicians and elected officials. I had to think about that point. You made that point earlier in the phone about, you know, looking beyond politicians, would you please vote yes on this and no mm -hmm. on this and fix this to who is this person? And I do yes. think the more uh, as people get more concerned about America's future, about freedom, they begin to look more closely at candidates. So who is this who's asking me mm -hmm. to let them, you know, to, to give them the job of whatever they're running for? And, and this idea of you know, what they stand for and believe in is a better predictor of how they'll vote mm -hmm. or how they'll lead than any promise on a particular issue. That, that's just a huge yes. point you're making. Because who knew COVID was coming? And had we known it was coming and um, could, you know, Monday night, what is that called, quarterback? <laughs> um, and say Jenkins would have been exactly the wrong person because he's self-serving, self-promoting. And, and he goes loves by, power, sorry. He loves power. And so had we known this was coming, he would have been such a clear no for Dallas County. And you would have picked someone very humbly, I would say, like myself, who I am now, is which is someone you grow into. This is not, I'm not the Lauren I was in my 20s. I'm the Lauren I am in my late 30s because of all the things we've gone through. Being an entrepreneur is quite humbling. And you want to know, how have you lived your life? What are other decisions make? What does your family look like? Where have you come from? We need to know these things about people who are in power. It's just so consequential. It is, and I think it's a brilliant point too, but what is this person all about? Who are they really? And you know, you have these times where you discover someone later you thought was a, you know, just seemed like very upstanding and they said all the right, and you realize mm -hmm. something about their background would have told you a whole lot about them. I was gonna go off one person, but I won't do that. Anyway, 
I do want to ask you that one story I did not know, and I think also back not just to the schools, but the attitude of government. Mm -hmm. You uh, were mentioning something you had brought up at your children's elementary school, Dealey Elementary, mm -hmm. uh, when you were wanting to have a, an organization, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to have you just share that with our audience, what you tried to do, what was the school's reaction? Sure, and that's the other thing we should be asking of our, our elected officials is what battles have you fought to date? Because we need fighters. Yeah. And so this one battle that I fought in Dealey, um, a Montessori, as I was going through and my eyes were opened through the mandates is that three years before this, um, with another parent, we put in fellowship of Christian athletes. And um, at the time they said, no, you cannot have it at lunchtime because it's quote Christian. And I have this in writing, and mind you, when I'm going through this whole battle with my kids and I'm super hyper aware of what they're going through this last school year, I find out that the Gay Straight Alliance and the Girls Club is operating at lunchtime. But our club couldn't operate for three years um, as a Christian organization at lunchtime. We were forced to before school or after school where parents had to access it. And, and you don't have to have parents' permission to go to these clubs. And so when I fought that, they really quickly were like, Oh, we're sorry. You you can have it at lunchtime, but mind you, I'm getting ridiculed and treated terribly saying I, I hate gay people because I'm just asking for equal treatment for our Christian organization. It was so unconstitutional and it just proves that there is a, a true agenda working there. It's not rights for all. It's not for all the kids. There were so many kids who we could have reached with our organization that we didn't get to because we were forced to go at 7.30 in the morning where parents had to rearrange their schedule to get yeah. their kids there. And mind you, if you look it up on a national website, Gay Straight Alliance is no longer Gay Straight Alliance. It's Gender Sexuality Alliance. Look it up. The agenda changes right under our, our nose and um, we don't even know it. And in that class, the art teacher is very much an activist and telling about 30 to 40 kids that, that there was not, you're neither male or female. You're whatever it's a you spectrum. You can pick it. And they're affirming kids in this, kids that are 12, 13, and 14. It's, it's horrific. And the, and the point to be made here is that no parent wants an agenda pushed on their kid. Now, whether we agree how to parent our kids or not, that's, that's for another discussion, but what we both can agree on is that we do not want agendas pushed on our kids. And I'm here to tell you there is an agenda in the schools, even in Dallas, Texas, and it is being forced on our children. Yeah, I love that you're raising that. And one point about that I want to explore a little bit is I do think there have been some individuals on school boards, administrators in schools, who got frightened by or intimidated by the leftist push about there's a separation of church and state, and you're never, never, never allowed to mention God in school. And of course, as you know, because you love the Constitution as I do, it doesn't say anything in the Constitution about a separation of church and state. But that idea got got you know, kind of snaked its way in to our mm -hmm. culture and our schools. And so some schools may have said, well, I don't want to get sued, so I'm afraid we'll get sued, so then I can't let this, this nice lady bring in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. But over time, I mean, this has been, been going on for a while. Mm -hmm. What has become is just easier for schools to say no to something you're suggesting. And at the same time, they don't dare say no to the Gay Straight Alliance, which is now whatever they now call it, the, the, the you know, whatever they, the name for it is now, it is, it's indicative of the push of the American leftist mm -hmm. to eviscerate religion, mm -hmm. 
keep it out of the public square at the same time push a very radical agenda mm -hmm. and schools whether they know whether they think they can't fight it or they're afraid to fight it they just submit and a person who could be county judge you could be someone who would stand up for those ideas just that you can't that you, you can't discriminate against. And that was a long question, sorry, but you yes. can't discriminate against religion. No, you can't. And our, our country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. The Constitution is written for a moral people. Somebody said that. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it is extremely valuable, and I get it. I, I was raised by atheists. I get being on one side all the way to the other. I, I really do. And... Um, it's a difficult spot to be, but what we can't do is untether our society, our children from the truth, because then they are susceptible to any and everything. Suicide rates are astronomical. I found out that at the TAG, middle, uh, TAG high school in the Dallas Magnet system, they have the suicide hotline printed on the name badges. Like something is wrong here. It's not working. And why don't we have our trusted adults questioning everything, everything, because the kids are suffering and I think they see it and they're still doing nothing about it. Yeah, they don't. And I just, I think that, I don't even know what words to put on, but that is so indicative of how um, off track our culture has gotten that the school was really comfortable telling you, sorry, on the Christian uh, Fellowship of Christian yeah. Athletes, but sure, come on ahead. And, and as for many reasons, people don't speak up because they don't want to be the one who's criticized and ridiculed. So among many reasons, I, I mean, I just think you're an amazingly brave person. Um, do you say something else? I want to go back yeah, to the election stuff. So, count, yes. so, you, so on the county um, commissioner's court, Dallas mm -hmm. County Commissioner's Court, at best, you're going to have two Republicans, you and maybe one other who's running, mm -hmm. and then three Democrats. Is mm -hmm. that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So how, how do you see working? I mean, how do you see that working? How do you see yourself being able to get your, an agenda through? Yeah, I think, you know, you find ways to find commonality with people and you stop short at negotiating at our foundation. And that's what has eroded everything is that we've negotiated beyond our foundation and, and again, taken us in wild directions. But I think, you know, just bringing that peace and calm um, that that is natural to my personality that has gotten me this far in life does a lot we don't a lot of its conversation and having negotiating skills and being able to get people to rally around say a tower I went to this really cool um, a training in New York City for a day with this former CIA agent and her husband was like at the elite elite he did the polygraphs for the CIA and they talked about these leadership skills and the first thing they did was give us a stack of papers and say build a tower with four people I'd never met before and we're like oh where do you start you know and the person one who built the highest tower with with just sheets of paper and the point of the exercise exercise was is that we're building a tower Nothing else matters. We're building a tower. So we have an America, we have an American idea, we have a constitution, and we are building a tower. And so then you let everything else go, a disagreement or where we might come from or our different backgrounds or our different lenses. But as long as we have an established mission and goal, you can achieve anything with anybody. And so I think it takes a leader to come in and what we're having to do is reestablish what we're building here. And, um, and I think that's, that's the mark of a good leader. I think that's what I can do. And then everyone rallies around success. Everyone. All they the sure time. do. They human sure nature. Do rally around success. What are we going to do about, you mentioned elections uh, that 
being among the uh, items that are under the purview of the Dallas County Commissioner's Court. I mean, many people around the country are so deeply concerned about election fraud. Mm -hmm. So what needs to happen? Are you concerned about election fraud in Texas? And if so, what needs to happen? Yes, I mean, uh, of course I am. It's a real thing, and um, it's an administrative function, right? So we've got machines, and we used to have paper ballots, and I went down to central count. Um, on the May 7th election, and there were three missing USB drives, and no one in the election department seemed to care where did they go. Um, I saw all different people bringing in our USBs that hold our most valuable resource. I would argue more than money is our vote. And the USB the, is storing the votes at particular precincts. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's what comes off the machines, and it stores all the votes, and then they stick it in the other machine, and then the numbers appear on the screen, which is hard for me to even wrap my brain around sometimes on, on how all that goes and how we keep the chain of custody. But there's just average people, you know, bringing down the, our, our precious resources, our vote. And I think about in business, well, we have armored vehicles that go around and collect our deposits for all the money we took in for that day. Why wouldn't we do something as simple as that? I think, you know, talking to different voters and people from all over, sometimes when we get into election integrity, election fraud, people tune out because they want to believe in the institution, okay? And so some people shut off. And, and what we can do is coming into the county is secure it in the best way we can at, at this time, which is through administration. We can, have our po we can encourage people to get involved in elections, which being poll watcher, poll worker right? Um, election day judge. Um, when we have them all manned, it stops things like stacks of IDs coming in and people voting out of nowhere. Um, so there's some really simple things we can do that can further secure elections. And then there's some big policy changes we could make um, in regards to machines and paper ballots that could be made if, you know, if we want to get real bold. But that comes with the five-person election committee, which is a tax assessor, which is elected, uh, County clerk, Democrat county party chair, Republican county party chair, and the county judge. It takes four people to fire, three people to hire the elections administrator. And that right there will affect elections all day long. So the administrator, though, in, in Dallas, for example, you wouldn't or shouldn't, would you have the authority as the Dallas County commissioner's court, if you get the votes, to say, we're just leaving the machines out of it, we're doing all paper. C could you do that? And are you up for that? Well, that's a great question. I'll be really honest. I'm not for sure where the full power lies in that structure and how those decisions are made. Um, I believe it would be up to the administrator, which is selected by the, the county, the, those five people that I just said. So having two, right, if I was to win and then having our county party chair, that's two out of five people needed to make the decision to change out administration that administers all of our elections. So, so it's um, probably administrators, you're thinking. Mm -hmm. I, I know these are, we're way yeah. down the weeds, but. We are, me, but, but it, starts, it starts at our county government. It's administrative. There's many things we can do. And that, that county stars right now, his name is Michael Scarpello. He makes the decision. He runs the elections. So that's where the power lies, Yeah, is in the selection of, of that person. Well, you, know, you talked a lot of things about a lot of things that are impacting how Americans feel or Texans feel and Dallasites feel about mm -hmm. crime and all that. But on the election thing, if you don't have it to where people feel confident in the yeah. elections and in the integrity of them, mm -hmm. everything else you want to work on, all the great arguments can be made in support of policies and all the great candidates, mm -hmm. if they have, everything's rigged, 
it, it's it, all of that is for naught. Correct. And so that's more to the point of why are we hyper focused in our national media on school board elections when all the power seems to be lying in the county government on health issues, on elections, on our safety, on so many things we should be putting in. If we had our county clerk um, and our county tax assessor and our county judge, all constitutional conservatives, we wouldn't have the problems we have right now. We just wouldn't. Yeah. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know, here in Dallas, we, um, I think around the country, people just think, oh, Texas, everything's red. It's just red everywhere. Dallas County is more or less blue, and every countywide seat at this time is held by Democrat. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. 90, I think I write it, uh, we ran some numbers, 92% of the elected officials in Dallas County are Democrat. Yeah. It does not reflect the population and could allude to some of the points you're making on election Which integrity. could be a cause of fraud, I don't know. It could be the result of fraud, we'll, we'll never well, know. And what you found too is, is a hijacking of our judicial system as well, because the only reason why Clay Jenkins has made it this far on his defying the governor is because every one of our district courts is filled with liberal activist judges who aren't following the law, and so it has to take all that time to make it to the Texas Supreme Court yeah. to get a true, fair ruling. Look, I don't want it to be rigged in, in my direction either. I just want fair. I want what our founding fathers intended it to be. And it just isn't right now. And, and people are suffering. I mentioned much earlier in this interview that we, you had a primary and um, there, were, there was a tremendous amount of energy around that primary. Mm -hmm. And you, this was, I mean, at least in terms of elections I've been involved in, mm -hmm. you know, the biggest landslide I've ever seen. So you won against a, a, um, another GOP candidate and by a landslide, I would call it. I mean, is it 69%? 69%, yeah. So what, to what do you attribute that? I mean, the other person was more name recognition, more well-known. What's the reason you think you won that by such big numbers? Well, first off, I'll give the glory to Jesus Christ because I, I, the only reason why I'm here and even stepped into this race is because I said yes to his calling, plain and simple. Yep. Now, I get it. Our world is very condemning of Christians right now. But you know that I cannot deny that. And then the other thing is hard work still wins in America. We got there. I worked 12, 15 hours a day. I was at three and four meet and greets a day. We had a good message. And, and, and I was just an, I'm an everyday person. People are tired of politicians. And we went straight to the voters. And I didn't get down when I was just having a meeting before I came here. And the, the difference between people who succeed and don't succeed, we talked about being on an entrepreneurial journey together, is we just don't give up. Yeah. Every day you get up and you take one step forward, one step forward. And that's the same thing when we're, we all know this is a spiritual battle and we're conquering good and evil here. And all we have to do to fight evil is to take a step forward, don't move. Take a step right. forward, don't move. Now it's going to go, it's going to get crazy and it's going to be like, oh my gosh, ah, you know, and that's what I mean when my knees don't wobble because I, we have to be so firm. And so that's how you win it is you don't give up. You wake up every day, you work hard and you give a message of truth and you'll win every time. Okay. Are you guys knocking on doors at this point to turn out the vote? We are, we are rounding up our volunteers. So we need more volunteers to, to knock the doors. We'll be starting here soon. We knocked a ton of doors in the primary. We're also doing a bunch of really cool outreach things because 
knocking doors, doing community events, it's all kind of in the same vein. And so we're trying, it's 2.7 million people, 31 cities in Dallas County. It's a lot of doors to knock, probably more than I can logistically do. Yeah, I think <laughs> so, yeah. Realistic, running numbers and being realistic about it. So we're doing things like we're hosting Barber Fest. Um, September 18th at Gillies. I'm a barbershop owner. I experienced a pandemic like a lot of people, so we're knocking on barbershop doors. Um, we're also going to restaurant owner doors. There's a lot of people out here who suffered, um, not just from the shutdown, but then from the capacity limits. No business can run off at 30%, 40%, 50%. No, I need 100%. And then do my darndest to keep our, you know, our, you know, our expenses down so I could pull a profit out of the business. So there's a lot of people upset and we're accessing, accessing them in all different ways. But we need happy warriors to join the campaign. You most certainly do. So in the time you were knocking on doors during the primary, mm -hmm. you were doing that. Mm -hmm. What was the biggest issue you heard people mention when you went to the door? Like biggest thing they were concerned about? Did, oh my or, gosh, that was, was even before like some of this inflation and gas was up. So, yeah. I mean, parental rights, I've really connected with people. I've had grown men and women cry in front of me because yeah. they get so highly connected to my story because they don't like how my kids were treated. They don't like where America's gotten. They relate to kind of in, being in this fight with me and they're, they're so grateful to come behind me instead of having to necessarily be right there on that front line. And so I think it's parental rights because that trickles down to a lot of what we're experiencing. Our government thinks we are dumb and stupid, incapable um, to make our own decisions and that's not true. And so the parental rights in our fight really connects because whether it was actual parental rights, people suffered like I did in the kids' school in their workplace. Saying, oh, you have to get the vaccine or go find another job. Like, excuse me, why is our government talking about right. people who were put here on this earth for purpose like a unit of labor? You know, like you can just go get another job. No, I invested my life here. So it's a really very, a very connecting point. Yeah. COVID helped a lot of people realize how much they love personal freedom and how quickly <laughs> life can change if the government decides you don't have it anymore. I mean, it just changed a lot of the way people thought about government. They, and that, one quick thing, and then we'll go to our audience, have a chance to ask questions. Uh, he has a microphone over there for a moment, but um, one last thing on COVID. So I, I was very quick and, and, and consistent in condemning mm -hmm. what occurred in Dallas County and mm -hmm. around the country. I had the mm -hmm. images of you know police chasing somebody who's alone by herself mm -hmm. on the beach mm -hmm. in California uh, because she was out without a mask or something. So there were all these stories happened. But what is the right role of government when you have a if you were to have a serious pandemic? I mean, is it what is it? It's to make the toolbox as big as possible and to share that information. So whatever we need inside that toolbox for the people to make the best decision for themselves and their family is government's role and nothing more. We don't step into people's lives and have dominion over them and make the decision for them. We have our government and it goes down to equity. And this is a common theme is that people this elite ruling class, because it's not party, they're, they're in it together, right? We oh, yeah. know that, okay? It's elite ruling class thinking they can actually manipulate and control outcomes. That is God's will. That is not our humanity, yep. right? All we can do is control inputs. So the role of government is to give, put in as many inputs and stay out of the outcome. That is to be, that is to be, um, you know, grown by the individual and it's different for everybody. And so I just don't think that we use fear or get scared or get wobbly knees again 
uh, because there's unintended consequences, right? We have mental health. We have businesses that went out, family businesses forever, unintended consequences, and, and I don't want personal responsibility for that. I'm going to leave that to God, but what I'm going to do is work really hard and give, you know, Dallas County citizens the, as many tools as possible to fight whatever might come in the future. So information and sharing possible ways you could help. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, as I say, I think millions woke up during COVID and realized, I thought we had freedom in this country, but somehow we don't. And they got alarmed, got alarmed about what yeah. more, you know, what other emergency could come along and more freedom be surrendered. Okay, well, the, we have the opportunity in this happy audience to have people mm -hmm. ask questions. And um, if you do raise your hand a question, hold the microphone right by your mouth so that, because it's not just for the room, it's for people who are listening online. Lauren, thanks for being here. I do have a quick question, but I want to say, make a quick comment too about your qualifications because mm -hmm. when you first ran, mm -hmm. I remember hearing somebody say, well, how can she do that? She's never been in politics before. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying, well, neither had Donald Trump. He was a businessman. She's a businesswoman. What, what do you see different? Mm -hmm. And then by contrast, Look at somebody who has been in politics his whole life and never really had a job, Joe Biden. So, you know, what kind of qualifications are people really looking for? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a businesswoman and a successful mom, you've got great qualifications for Thank this job. You. Much I better agree. than the incumbent. <laughs> My question is kind of a nosy little thing, but also in the beginning, you were really, um, when you were the only parent, the only mom mm -hmm. uh, with your kids not wanting uh, to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. I remember that their parents were critical, right? Mm -hmm. What I'm wondering is now, after all this, has anybody changed their mind about you that was, has anybody said, I'm, gee, Lauren, I'm sorry. Um, I have not gotten any sorries yet. In fact, <laughs> I was, I was a little nosy and looked up their primary voting history, and a lot of those moms went and voted in their first primary um, against me. Uh huh. So you know, but you know, I will let God work in their heart. Um, it's not going to change how I feel. I'd be accepting of them, and you know, maybe not welcome them back into my life because I have so many like awesome warrior moms. I just don't have time for that anymore. Um, but, you know, I uh, was listening to a speech by Mike Pompeo, um, and he said one of the, one of the tenets in, in being a conservative is, is having forgiveness. Um, and it was a really cool speech, I believe he did at the Reagan Library, and I think we have to have forgiveness. So I've already forgiven them, but I think that's for all of us because there are people who will come to, the, to this side, and we need to welcome them in and not turn them away. Mm -hmm. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's always just a fabulous time hearing you and you're just such a beam of light. My question is, um, how do people volunteer for your camp and help be these walkers and these warriors of light? How do they get in touch with you and your camp to actually help further your mission along? Well, that's very kind of you to ask. Thank you. Um, so you can just go on my website. So it's Davis for the number four dallas.com so davis for dallas.com you could also if you're listening locally stop by our campaign headquarters 
at 9100 North Central <coughs> Expressway. That's right on 75 at Park Lane. And just come in. I had, we had two wonderful people yesterday that honestly came in and said, God called me to come in, and I just want to help. It happens daily. So we would just love, I mean, people are attracted to the campaign because it is light. It is fun. Life is way too short to be upset and angry. We have to have fun at this, and we do that at Davis for Dallas. So davisfordallas.com. That was my closing question to tell, have you tell us how people can help you. But I really do, you know, when we first moved to came to Texas, I heard all these people talking about knocking on doors, knocking on doors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I grew up in New York, don't tell anybody, and <laughs> lived in California many years. And it really isn't, it isn't as common as in Texas. But in Texas, people are, are they expect it. Well, they never came to my door. Mm -hmm. And that this idea of knocking on doors, inspiring people, it really is, especially in this era of increased activism, it, it is an enormous contribution for anyone mm -hmm. to make. And just yes. to take the time, if you can knock on 10 doors on a Saturday, then go, go about your day, you, you may just make the difference. And so I, I really urge people to do that, or any way yes. they can help you, that you want their help. But And I, that's how we're going to heal our communities. Use it as a chance to be a healer in your community. Knock on the door. Um, knock on every door on your street. If everyone just took their street, knocked their door, talked to their neighbor, um, we'd win a lot of elections that way and heal our communities all at the same time. We're very fragmented. We're going through the alley to the garage into our back door. And I suggest maybe everyone park out front, um, but <laughs> pull your car in at night because they'll probably get broken into in Dallas County right now. Um, there but is meet, that problem, yes. yes. But meet, meet your neighbor. It's just own your block. Own your block, meet your neighbor. That is the best way you can help our campaign, but we'd love for people to get engaged formally because we want people to come in and learn politics. Don't wait so long. I waited too long to get involved. I was never involved before. Um, don't wait till government slaps you in the face to start making a difference. Okay, so your campaign uh, website is Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, the digit for Dallas.com. Davis for Dallas, last name. S sorry, Davis, sorry. That's okay, Davis for .com. Sorry, Davis for Dallas.com. Yes. I really, I hope people will go there because I think that is, uh, I mean, this is, this is a, the battle of the people. Mm -hmm. This is the battle and, you know, it's he who shows up wins. We are pretty much out of time. I'm sorry if anyone has their hands up. Uh, I do want to mention for our listeners, first of all, on wherever you're listening, thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk. Our website is americacanwetalk.org. You can find everything about the show there ever was, uh, past interviews, blogs, whatever we do is all there. Love to have, you can watch this show at the website. And uh, Lauren, I want to just thank you for coming in today and thank you for running. Well, oh thank my you goodness. for the opportunity. You gave me my first break with the kids' story, and I'm <laughs> glad to come, come full circle here, and I can't wait to come back it November is, 9th. That's right. So election day, November 8th, and November 9th, November. we'll have to call you Madam Commissioner <laughs> or something. What, what, is, no, what do you call You could call me Lauren Davis, and, oh, I, okay. and I'm going to put citizen county judge on the plaque. I think they have all kinds of fancy names. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a regular person, so you can just call me Lauren and doing the people's work. Thank you so much mm -hmm. for coming in today. Thank you for running. It's just amazing. <laughs> for everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear